And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. John Vance. Uh, Pastor Vance, it's, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today. This winter day. <laughs> That's right. You are now semi-retired in West Virginia. You were the former senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York, and uh, you still remain as uh, one of the board members here at Redeemer Broadcasting, and uh, we look to you for a lot of advice and uh, input. And uh, today what we want to do is talk about um, the value of church history. Uh, you know, what is, um, what is the value of picking up a book on church history and reading it, um, you know, some people might uh, say, well, I've got the Bible, that's enough. But what's the value? Maybe you can get us started on that today. Well, the the value uh, is that God continues to work in the world. Uh, he worked, of course, in, in a very special way in biblical history, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you notice in the Old Testament, there's a great value placed on history and the passing on of the faith from generation to generation. And in the New Testament, it's the same. Uh, It envisions that the story of the gospel will go forth until the end of the world, and uh, we are to train faithful people that they might pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. So history is very important. Uh, In in fact, um, our world... Uh, in the West, anyway, is based upon the biblical uh, philosophy of history, that there's a beginning and there's an end. Uh, we, we have to thank, in particular, St. Augustine for, for uh, sketching that out in a way that makes sense. And, and um, so history is very important to study in general, but biblical history is even more so because it helps us to understand the handiwork of God in our world. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, we, we come from, in fact, we just came from celebrating the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And one of the things we learned there is the sufficiency of scriptures. And uh, um, in this context, uh, somebody might ask, well, isn't the Bible alone sufficient for the Christian? And uh, in light of what it says in Second Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, how would you answer that question? Well, of course, the Bible contains everything we need to know about God. Uh, he, that's his self-revelation. We, we really don't know anything outside of the Bible for sure, about God, because he's revealed himself in the scriptures. Uh, And he's also revealed in the scriptures about ourselves, what we're like. Uh, We're sinful. Uh, You you mentioned uh, the Reformation. Martin Luther had a wonderful phrase uh, in Latin that he used, simul usus et peccator, we are sinner and saint at the same time. The Bible tells us that, tells us about our world and how God created and so forth. And there's no question that the Bible is sufficient for all matters pertaining to faith and practice, that what we are to believe and how we are to live in the world. So uh, 
I can understand someone raising a verse like that because it is extraordinarily important verse, but that does not mean that we're able, our individual selves, to mine all the riches that there are in the Bible, and there are many. The Word of God, of course, uh, informs our lives. It it, uh, enables us to believe the gospel and to be kept in the gospel. The Word of God is is all important uh, as it is written because it gives testimony to the living Word, even Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. But it would be hubris or prideful to think that one individual could get everything they need from the Bible. And the study of church history helps us to unpack the Bible in several ways. First of all, the Bible itself is not given uh, to an individual as such. It's given to the church. Uh, we have that passage in Second Peter where it says the scripture is of no private interpretation. And the author there is talking about the fact that the Bible has been given to the community, and we interpret the scripture together through the Spirit. That is terribly important. Uh, word and spirit go together, but uh, and to, and to reinforce that, we we see in also in Ephesians that God has appointed apostles and teachers in the church. So therefore, um, we are to to look to others who who may be better equipped to understand the Scripture. Uh, I, I myself, whenever I prepare a sermon, uh, Dan, I. I don't just simply rely on my own resources, even though I've studied Greek and Hebrew and I've been in the Bible a long time, but I like to go back and see what uh, other people have to say about a particular passage. John Owen, for instance, or or Martin Luther, or John Calvin, or St. Augustine, uh, the early church fathers, I rely on them. And uh, because God has appointed teachers in the church, and I realize that the Bible is no private interpretation, uh, not just for me. Uh, a lot of cults have got started in home Bible studies apart from the church, let me tell you. Um, I could name a few. I'm not going to. But it's a dangerous thing just to rely simply on your own resources because we, we can easily skew things. So the study of church history and Christian thought is very helpful for us to stay on the, if you will, the straight and narrow, to stay on the tracks and to, to understand. Uh, so I'm always in dialogue with people of the past about the scripture and people in the present. Uh, when I study the scriptures, I study with other elders and teachers in the church. Uh, we have a confession of faith, as you know, in my tradition, it helps keep us uh, right. So the, the spirit didn't just cease to work in the first century, it continues to work in the lives of believers and helps us to come to a better understanding of the truth uh, as we seek it. Yeah, I, I'm i thinking of several themes uh, that ties into this. One was uh, something that we had gone through some time ago with uh, this uh, guy, Harold Camping, and how that he inf- affected so many people to uh, think that they could just go it on their own. They didn't need the church. Um, they could figure things out. And, and now what's become of his movement is there's scattered, you know, some people here and there. None of them agree with each other, and they argue back and forth, and uh, many of them are still not in the church, so it's it's quite a mess. We need the church, and um, praise God for the church. And I, I guess what I mean, I think uh, what you're saying here is that the 
the Bible uh, is not antithetical to church history, but if anything, would cause us to appreciate it. Um, now, what what is the distinction between church history and so-called Christian thought? Church history is a broader term. It would include uh, the mission of the church, its accomplishments, its uh, preaching of the gospel, uh, all aspects of church life uh, in different cultures and places. The history of Christian thought or uh, would be, you might say, historical theology. Uh, how has a certain doctrine, for instance, unfolded in history? Uh, the early church, for instance, uh, understood that certain doctrines need to be developed. Let me just illustrate one point here. The doctrine of the Trinity, it's clearly in the Bible, but it is in some ways uh, in story form and raw material that you have to put together. And the early church uh, in the first uh, four centuries developed the doctrine of the Trinity and its implications. It's, it's set forth in the great creeds of the church. Now, they didn't make this doctrine up. They, it was in Scripture, but it was their reading of the Scripture. And and the word Trinity, for instance, does not appear in the Bible. Uh, it is a word, I think, first used by Tertullian uh, in the second century. He was a North African uh, theologian, and he used the word Trinity to describe what he read in the Bible. And that is a great word. We need that word, uh, for it helps us to understand a great doctrine that uh, uh, is in the Bible, but needs to be systematically presented so that we can understand and appreciate it better. So uh, church history then, uh, and teachers in the church through the history can help us understand those things. I'm reminded, uh, maybe you remember that passage of scripture where at the end of Second Peter, uh, Peter says, you know, there are many things in the Apostle Paul that are difficult to understand. In fact, just let me read that verse, uh, if, if I can find it here quickly. Uh, he says, oh, yeah, it's, it's, in, uh, it's in Second uh, Peter. He says about Paul, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. So it is, if you will, the continuity of history of Christian thought and, and the great teachers of uh, God has placed in the church that keeps us from, if you will, in our own ignorance, distorting the scripture and, and getting way off the track. And, and uh, Peter even mentions here that not everyone can understand the writings of the Apostle Paul. He says they're <laughs> difficult, so they need elucidation. And that's, that's what the church helps us do uh, down through history. St. Augustine said, I would not have God as my father if I did not have the church as my mother. Right. Uh, the mother teaches us and nourishes us. And so that's why the church is important. And that's why when you bring up Harold Camping, uh, he, he, um, he unfortunately rejected a key component of Christian living, the church. Yes, yes. Now, um, today we're talking about the value of church history. This is Dr. John Vance that uh, is our guest today. Um, are there times in the history of the church when certain periods may be more important than other periods? Yes, there's no question, I think, about that. There are times when you have 
great periods uh, in the life of the church. Well, you, in fact, in the history of the world, you have periods of great energy and originality and creativity. For instance, the early Greeks. Uh, I, I have training in Greek philosophy, and one of my teaching uh, in co- when I taught in college, I taught philosophy, and uh, it's it's an extraordinary creative period from the time. Um, of Heraclitus, for instance, uh, up through uh, the Neoplatonists. Uh, you have all these great teachers of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. It is amazing how creative they were. Also, you have a creative period in Germany uh, and Scotland in, in recent periods of, of enormous advancement in science and in England. Uh, well, in church history, it's the same way. Uh, probably the most creative an important period, not creating new things, but but able to understand and interpret scripture. Probably the the greatest, most important period is the period of the church fathers. There's there's no question about it, because they were dealing with uh, certain important matters that had to do with um, uh, teaching uh, the Trinity. Uh, we call it the TCC, the Trinitarian Christological Controversy, and you have. Uh, uh, some very important theologians during those that time that everyone I think that can uh, had the time. I, I don't think everyone has the time to do this, but had the time to read. For instance, let me let me just mention a couple of them. Uh, we we have the great theologian called uh, Athanasius. He lived in the third century uh, and early uh, fourth and in the fourth century. Uh, he he gave us tremendous insight into the doctrine of the Trinity, and also what is called the Cappadocian Fathers, the great fathers. That, uh, these people all lived in Turkey, but they really helped us understand how Jesus relates uh, to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and also helped us to understand how Jesus' two natures relate, his divine and human. And, of course, in the West, uh, the, the greatest theologian of all is St. Augustine. Uh, who wrote The City of God, and uh, he wrote a tremendous treatise on the Trinity, uh, uh, gave us an understanding of many things, probably the most influential theologian in the West uh, to this very day. There's none been greater. So yes, the early period, and of course the Reformation. The Reformation period was an extraordinary outburst of of, uh, interpreting the Bible and bringing us back to the Scriptures to make sure that we were well-grounded. Uh, the Reformation period through Luther and people like Calvin taught us that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Even though that's a Bible verse, they helped us to come back to that and appreciate how important it is uh, to rely solely upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ through faith. Yes. So, yes, there have been some great periods in, in church history, and those two are probably the greatest. What about the uh, modern period? How does the modern period significant for Christian thought? Well, uh, for different churches, different periods have been most important. The Middle Ages for the Catholic Church, uh, and of course Thomas Aquinas has been very important, uh, but I'm speaking uh, in particular uh, uh, from my own tradition. But I would say, I would say one of the most cre- uh, important periods in the history of the Church were the Puritans who came to America in the uh, 1620s and up to the time of Jonathan Edwards. That was an extraordinary uh, uh, productive period 
As a matter of fact, it set the tone for the entire culture of America. We've only gotten away from Puritan culture, if you want to know the truth, and Christian culture since the 60s. But it was very viable up until the 1960s of our own era. Our understanding of history, of life, uh, the importance of literature, uh, the role of the Bible in our lives, and 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 how it brings us into a deeper reality. I, the, the, the Puritans were were. I just cannot say how important that period was uh, to the founding of our country. Mm, good point. The um, what about the other areas, the other regions of the world? You've talked about the the European contributions. Uh, you did you did mention Northern Africa. What about these other regions of the world? Well, the, the early church did rely on uh, what we would call the mainly the Middle East and North Africa, but it really is Eurocentric. And maybe the most productive understanding of Christian doctrine has been through that tradition. But, you know, uh, as Christianity has spread throughout the world, uh, there are things that are taking place in the world that are probably much more important than what's taking place in our own societies these days. Uh, not only We probably haven't had enough uh, time to see great theologians like we have uh, in, in the Middle East and North Africa and European history, uh, let's say, for instance, in the Far East and so forth. But as Christianity spreads to those places and deeper in Africa places, I think you will see great teachers rise up. But maybe the most important thing that's happening uh, in church history today is that Christianity is spreading at a very rapid pace in some parts of the world. In Africa, uh, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, Christianity is spreading rapidly. And in, oh, I would say in 30 to 50 years, China will be by far the largest Christian country in the world. Uh, they, they will supersede uh, America, which is the largest Christian country in the world today, they were superseded, uh, uh, probably double almost. So uh, things are happening, and as as Christianity spreads and gains influence in those areas, you're going to find uh, very important uh, uh, things take place in terms of culture and thought and so forth. And and Christianity really gave rise, for instance, to science in the West. It gave a great spur. Now, it didn't create it. Uh, the ancient Greeks had science. But there was an extraordinary productive period in European history, and science as we know it today really is in some sense uh, a creature of Christian culture. So you will see that in the rest of the world, too. Yeah, that's a very important point. Um, I'm concerned, and you are, and many people are, about the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ at the hands of radicals around the world, and also at the hands of um, an older system, uh, namely uh, communism. Um, We're told that the um, persecution in North Korea is intense. Uh, Can you speak to that a little bit in this general subject heading of the value of church history, and um, um, can you expand upon the matter of persecution of Christians that's taking place today? Well, it is taking place today probably on a greater scale than ever before in human history. Many people know that the early church was persecuted in the first three centuries. In fact, Tertullian, the North African theologian I mentioned that gave us the word Trinity, among other things, 
also said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, Today, there are Christians being persecuted around the world. North Korea is the worst. Uh, It's a communist regime, and it's a cult. The the leader, of course, of the country uh, is a cult figure. Uh, He's worshipped. It is the worst. And uh, Christians have fled uh, North Korea uh, as much as they can into South Korea, and they tell of horrible persecution. So according to the Open Door, which is a uh, – I don't know whether you know the Open Door uh, organization, but they they every year put out a report on persecution, and North Korea is the head of the list. Hmm. But the most widely persecuted uh, Christians are in the Middle East and Muslim countries. Uh, approximately uh, 70% of all the persecution in the world today is coming from that region. They are killing Christians, uh, raping the women uh, and girls. Uh, Thousands are being killed uh, and have been in recent years. Uh, Now, other people have been uh, killed and uh, and so forth, uh, the Yazidis and others, but mainly it's Christians. Uh, in North Africa, there's a great amount of persecution of Christians in Muslim lands. Uh, so it's happening uh, around the world, and it's being ignored by our media, uh, unfortunately. Uh, if that were to be a minority community that was prized, let's say, for instance, in our country, uh, they would be all over. But since these are just Christians, they're, they're, uh, by our secular culture, they're just uh, dispensable. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, and I've got one more question, and that is, um, and we don't have a lot of time, but uh, maybe a few minutes. Um, now, you don't claim to be a prophet or son of the prophet, but um, um, could you put on your forecasting hat as you as you see the world and, and tell listeners what um, present trends uh, seem to indicate for the church in the future, let's say in the next 50 years, and and encourage us, where should we put our time and effort and focus so as to uh, glorify the Lord? Well, I think, Dan, that there, there, there's good news and bad news. Uh, the bad news is that where Christian, Christianity has flourished in Europe and America, North America, uh, it, is, it is not going to be what it has been. We, we live in a post, post-Christian society. And the evidence of that is is the uh, sexual mores uh, that we read about every day and the understanding of what it means to be a man or a woman, uh, the role of marriage, uh, those kinds of things, the children out of wedlock. Uh, we are in trouble culturally, So is and Europe is in more trouble than we are. And this is because we have, uh, since the 60s, been moving steadily away from a Christian consensus of what is right and wrong. So that's a fact of life. And um, I'm encouraged even in the midst of that, like Redeemer Broadcasting, we we know the word is going forth and that people are hearing it and people are being edified. But what you're finding is that Christianity is becoming a, a uh, if you will, a subset of the dominant culture. Yes. Uh, very important and very large, but that's just a fact of life. We now are the counterculture. Uh, but I'm not discouraged about that because the power of God uh, through the gospel is 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 the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and I have no doubt that the proclamation of the gospel, as 
we do on this station uh, is is uh, ex- more important maybe than ever to the Christian community in particular, but also to the general culture. But in other parts of the world, we it's amazing what is happening. Christianity is moving, if you will, south and east, that is into the southern hemisphere and into the eastern part of the world. And even though there's resistance, it's amazing um, what is happening in many countries in Africa and in Latin and South America and in in the east, uh, particularly in Korea and China, um, in Southeast Asia and Indonesia. Uh, we have great uh, prospects for the future. And I would say that a part of the rise of the East has to do with the fact that many are adopt, adopting the Christian faith, and it will strengthen those cultures. Uh, it may even eventually loosen the the iron grip hand that China has on its people, because it is persecuting Christians. Yes. So I see a, I see a long-term, uh, if you will, prospect for Christianity is great. Uh, people talk about the spread of Islam, but the spread of Islam uh, is is a fact. It's it's done through birth, but many countries are breaking up in Islam. I think we may be seeing the fracturing of Islam. As a matter of fact, in Iran, it's in terrible uh, straits. Uh, they're not having children. Uh, the Shiite uh, majority there and the mullahs are culturally in great trouble. This uprising in Iran does not uh, is is I think will doom that administration at some point. That theocracy, if you will. Um, so there are things like this happening in Islam uh, that I think uh, people are not paying enough attention to. But in Christianity, I believe that the spread of the gospel is solidifying the worldwide Christian community. And and we're seeing missionaries coming to this country from Africa and from Asia. <laughs> Whether you know that or not. That is, that is so neat. Well, um, what an encouraging uh, point of view that is. And, and it's the truth that uh, God is advancing his kingdom, and uh, of course, when cultures reject him, uh, nothing but bad stuff follows, but praise God that um, things are, are not as bad as they could be, and in fact... They are uh, not. Yeah, there's something to be encouraged about. Uh, today we've been talking with Dr. John Vance about the value of church history and also Christian thought. Uh, if you'd like to contact us and uh, send an email question, just uh, use our address, ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. We'll pass it along to Dr. Vance. And Pastor Vance, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. And dear listener, please join us next week at this time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 